It's called The Timeless Ten. And we're going to start off with, uh, with the very first commandment, no other gods. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 is where we'll be uh, as we look through the, the Ten Commandments. And uh, 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 verse 3 will be the particular one today. Exodus chapter 20. Today, uh, as I said, we're going to start in this, we're starting a series on the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. Uh, why ten, I wonder? You know, why, why not twelve or seven? You know, th- those are two big Bible numbers, right? Uh, I, I don't know why, but maybe it's because ten just makes a good round number. It makes a good round list. Uh, ten especially makes a great top ten list. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like this one. Uh, here's the ten top ways you know you drink too much coffee. Number ten. You can jump, your, jump start your car without jumper cables. Number nine. You're so jittery, people use your hands to blend their smoothies. Number eight. Your eyes stay open when you sneeze. Number seven. You're the employee of the month at the local coffee shop, and you don't even work there. Number six, you spend every vacation visiting Maxwell's house. That was kind of corny. Uh, Number five, you lick your coffee pot clean. (laughs) Number four, you can take a picture of yourself from from 10 feet away without using the timer. Number three, the only time you're standing still is during an earthquake. Number two, you grind your coffee beans in your mouth. That's after you've you've licked your coffee pot clean. And number one, the number one way you know you drink too much coffee, Juan Valdez named his donkey after you. And there's probably some young people out there going, who is Juan Valdez? It's a commercial from back in the 70s and 80s. This little guy, he had a donkey, and he worked in Columbia or something. Um, Top 10 ways, you know you drink too much coffee. Of course, uh, God's list of 10 commandments is not a top 10 list. You know, it's not the 10 most, or, you know, from, it's not the 10 commandments of God, the least important being number 10 and the most important being number one. But today, as we begin our series on the Ten Commandments, you know, in a real sense, the first commandment could be said to be the most important command of the Ten. Uh, If you don't obey the first commandment, the other ones don't really make a whole lot of sense. The first one really is the motivation for following all the others. When God rescued the children of Israel from Egypt, from, uh, from slavery in Egypt, and set about preparing them to become an independent nation. You know, they had never really been a nation uh, at that point. They had just been a, started with a small family, and as they were in slavery, they grew into millions. And so now they were going to, for the first time, become a, an independent nation. Uh, and one of the tasks that, that God had to do was to find a way to keep his nation, his, his, his chosen people, holy and set apart for his divine purpose. They had a task to do, the Israelites did. They had a task to represent the one true God to the world and eventually to bring to the world a Savior 
uh, that would free all of mankind from all nations from their sins. But while they waited for this Messiah to come, and it would take a while, uh, they needed to separate themselves from the world, from all other nations. And it wasn't because of racism or bigotry or anything like that. It was because of sin. As they left Egypt and entered the world of nations, they would find that all other nations on earth were pagan nations who worshipped and served pagan or false gods. It was extremely important that Israel remain separated from these nations because if they welcomed them as they were, if they welcomed them as pagans into their communities and, and even worse, into their families by intermarrying with them, God knew what would happen. He knew that eventually they would also welcome their false gods, their pagan gods, and their sinful lifestyles that went along with those pagan gods. Now, after the Messiah would come, it would be different. Uh, then God would call his people not to separate from others, but to infiltrate the world, uh, to, to tell them about their Savior. But during the time of the Old Testament, they were called to separate themselves from the world. So as Israel uh, entered this new freedom that they were given, God enacted a plan to encourage his people to separate themselves from pagan nations and pagan gods and be wholly set apart for God's divine purpose. One of the first things that God did was give uh, his nation a written law, which began with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not a set of rules that were meant to be a burden on God's people to oppress them and keep them down. No, it was a set of values that would allow them to live a long and productive life if they followed them. The Ten Commandments set up barriers that protected the, the people uh, from themselves, <laughs> from the harm that sin always brings in our lives. It was a measuring stick to, uh, of how people should live and how they should get along with each other. Uh, if you love God first, then you will be able to, to love your neighbor as well. The Ten Commandments are composed of about 300 words, if you counted them up, but they form the foundation for the legal system of the entire Western world. The basic laws of civility uh, were not invented by men. They weren't invented by the Israelites. No, they were given to Moses from God on Mount Sinai. And 3,000 years later, uh, the Ten Commandments are still relevant for our lives today. The Ten Commandments are found in two places in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter 5. The Ten Commandments taught Israel and they teach us three simple truths. You must have a God, you must have one God, and your God must be the God of the Bible. So let's start from the top with commandment number one. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You know, what a politically incorrect statement that would be today, isn't it? To only have one God. I mean, who are you to tell people that they should worship one particular God? Today, God would probably be banned from social media on Facebook. His Twitter account would be shut down. 
And his words would be labeled as, of course, hate speech. Uh, We must embrace all gods, the world says. Or better yet, how about no gods? But thankfully, thankfully, you and I do not serve a politically correct God, do we? We serve the one and only God who created the universe. And because he is the only God... He has every right to require his creation, you and me, to set ourselves apart and worship only him. You know, it makes sense that the God of creation uh, would start with his list with the value, uh, with a command that says, have no other gods before me. You know, it's his nature to think that way. The God of creation is holy. And the word holy is, is so much more than just some religious word we use for religious things and for God. No, the word holy means set apart. Set apart. God, in the ultimate sense, is set apart from all other things uh, that, that because he created all other things. So, of course, he's going to be set apart from those things. In the Old Testament, especially, the contrast between God and mankind was symbolized by the fact that Moses, in order to get to God and get the Ten Commandments, had to go high up on a mountain, Mount Sinai, separating himself far from the other people so that he could meet God and receive the law. That was, that was a huge symbol of just the relationship that God had with mankind at that time. The reason for the separation is seen in the contrast that exists between God and you and I and mankind. God's nature is perfection. God is perfect. God is totally pure. God is totally sinless and cannot sin. Mankind's nature is the opposite. Mankind's nature is rebellion, disobedience, sin. Ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, mankind has fallen short of God's perfect standard. And because of that, we are separated from God. He is holy. We are not. Since our nature is rebellion, our tendency is to fail to serve God, uh, to desire to serve other gods or idols. Uh, that, and they're, they're gods or idols that we create, that we own. You know, when you create an idol, when you create a god to worship, You decide how you worship that God, don't you? Um, You can decide how committed you want to be to your God that you create. It's much easier to serve a God that you create than to serve a holy God who created us. Because when we serve a God who created us, we have to think about what he wants, not what we want. So God had to begin by demanding that his people worship only him. He commanded that that they pledge their allegiance only to him. And that allegiance was not to be divided between him and other gods. He's not going to split the difference or share our allegiance. Because he is the only God. God was smart to begin with this first commandment because he knew that Israel and that you and me 
whose nature is our nature is also to rebel just like theirs was because we're human we're going to struggle obeying that command to worship only him one of the hardest challenges uh, for us is to truly place god above all other things in our lives israel struggled with this throughout their history time after time god had to send in prophets to remind them uh, you know Put God first in your life. Turn from your wicked way and come and serve only him. Put God first. Israel was constantly disobeying God and, and allowing the false gods of the people of the nations around them to infiltrate their lives. He disobeyed and they disobeyed and intermarried with pagan people who brought their pagan gods into their families. And as a result, their lifestyles became more and more sinful as they failed to obey this first commandment. And the only way their lives could come close, even close to pleasing God, is if they served only, only Him. And today, you and I, we face that very same challenge. Here in America, you know, you know, we don't worship golden idols uh, we don't have uh, pagan temples that we around town that we go to and offer sacrifices to. But you know what? You and I do struggle pledging our allegiance to the one and only God above all other things in our lives. We struggle with that. Our idols are not stone statues or golden statues. Uh, they come in other forms, uh, other ways that we place things above God in our lives maybe it's our careers maybe it's our money maybe it's our children our pets our addictions uh, our, our 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 work our recreation and leisure anything that we place ahead of god that we consciously or unconsciously place as more important than our relationship with god is our god and this allegiance is not evidenced in what we say. You know, all of us would probably agree, yeah, yeah, God's got to be the most important thing in your life. We'd all say that. The evidence of where our allegiance lies is, is not found in what we say. It's found in what we do and how we live our lives, what we spend our time doing, what we spend our time thinking about, what's on our mind the most. The decisions that we make every day, those are the things that indicate where our allegiances lie. You know, you and I serve the same, the very same God that the Israelites served. And, and our God says to us, as he said to them, I must be first in your life. Number one, there must be no other gods before me. And I think most of us here would agree with that. We don't, I think all of us would, yeah, you're right, Mark, absolutely. You're right. We'd not argue with God about that. We understand how that's true. But I also think that many of us struggle at times to actually do that. <laughs> to truly put God first above all other things in our lives. So, for the rest of this message this morning, let's consider this question. How can I put God first? How can I put God first in my life above all other things? I got five ways that we can do that, that can help us do that. Number one, give God first priority in every decision that we make. 
give God first priority in every decision that we make. I encourage you to take, take notes because it will be a test at the end. You know, if you're like me, you, you may have a tendency to either never ask God about a decision that you're going to make, or we make a decision the way we want to, and then we go to God and we ask him to bless the decision that we just made, that we never talked to him about in the first place. We buy a car, you know, the one that we've had our eye on for a while, or the one that the salesman talked us into buying. We don't stop and ask God, God, is this, is this a, a, something I need to do for my family? Uh, no, we just do it. We just do it. Because we want that car, we just do it. And then a few months later, after the new car smell has worn off, <laughs> and uh, we have to keep washing it and putting gas in it and paying insurance on it, and of course paying those huge monthly payments, we start to wonder, man, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have done this. I probably shouldn't have done this. Why, why didn't I go and ask God and bathe it in prayer for a couple of days and, and sleep on it for a little while before I made this decision? I can see now this was a mistake. You know, if we truly put God first, we probably would have just driven that old car that was paid for for a few more years. It got us from here to there, and if you, if you washed it every now and then, it looked pretty good. <laughs> if you're ever tempted to buy a new vehicle, go wash your old car. It can help. It can help. We take a new job that pays more. And we didn't ask God about it first. I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? It pays more money. So, well, sure, I should, I should take the new job. Why ask God? But then we discover after we've taken this new job, while it does pay more, it requires much more time away from the family. Uh, we're, we're on the road all the time, and, and, and we work most Sundays, so we don't get to church much anymore. Now, is the money really worth it? Maybe if we had asked God honestly, he could have helped us see, in this case, sometimes money is not the most important thing. Some things are more important. My, my favorite verse in the Bible is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. What, what a nugget of truth that passage is. You know, we can't trust in the Lord if we don't put him first to guide us in our decisions that we make. Uh, and, and that's done, we put him first in, in the choices that we make in our lives. That's done when we honestly ask him, Lord, is this the direction I need to go? Is this the decision I, I need to make? We, we hear and we listen and we read his word and we, we see what it says and we listen to the Holy Spirit as he, as he guides us. And we honestly take his advice you know if, if we will do that the proverb promises if we will do that if we'll trust in the lord as we as we are guided through life our ways our paths will be straighter the proverb tells us and it's so true remember god can see things that we can't see he can see how that monthly payment is going to burden us he's going to see how that new job is going to affect our family life and so we've got to trust in him to know what's best. And how do we know what's best? Through reading his word, uh, through, through meditating upon his word, through praying and asking the Holy Spirit to guide us and to prompt us. So I want to per, 
put God first in your life, make your first priority, make him your first priority in every decision. Number two, you want to put God first? Give God the first dime of every dollar. Give God the first dime of every dollar. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, a little later in that same chapter, says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. You know, there's nothing that demonstrates where our devotion lies better than what we do with our money. What a good clue as to whether or not you put God first in your life. What does your giving to him look like? What does your giving to him look like? Do you give part of your income that he's blessed you with back to him on a consistent, regular basis? You know, that's what God wants from us. That's what he called Israel to do. That's what he calls you and I to do in the New Testament. He always has required or called for us to do that. Um, He required that Israel, it was a command for them that they give 10% of what God had blessed them with back to the Lord. He calls for us to give a portion of our income as well. His plan for meeting the financial needs of his church today is that his followers, you and me, give back to him part of what he's blessed us with. Here's how we can demonstrate to God that he is first in our life. Here's one way we can do that. Give him the first dime of every dollar. That's 10% of every dollar. Or in the big scheme, 10% of all that God has blessed us with. Not the last dime of every dollar, or, or the occasional dime every now and then, or the uh, if there's any dimes left after I've paid everything else dime, but the first dime of every dollar. Someone has wisely said, 90% with God goes much farther than 100% without God. I have seen that so true in my experience in my life. You know, I've tried to give regularly, and I've never missed it, and God has always taken care of all of my needs. I'm not rich, and I never have been, but I'm taken care of, and God has blessed me. And I know he will do the same for you. Give God the first dime of every dollar. Number three, you want to put God first in your life? Give God first place in every relationship. Give God first place in every relationship. Again, with with God's guidance, choose carefully your life's mate and your friends. Now, we probably understand that our relationships, our close relationships, can greatly affect affect our allegiances, right? The the things that we're allegiant to. Um, Now, to any unmarried people who are here or watching on Facebook, um, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, that we should not be yoked or joined together with unbelievers. In other words, if you're a Christian, you should not choose to marry someone who's not a Christian. Now, the reason is clear. It's about allegiance. It's not about just reducing the pool of handsome and pretty people in, that, that you can choose from. That's not the idea. It, it's about allegiance. It's about putting God first in your life. You know, it is very, very difficult to put God first in your life if your spouse does not put God first in their life. Very difficult. It's a constant battle of loyalties between a couple in that situation. 
You want to honor God because you decided to put him first in your life, but they want to honor something else. And maybe it's not a bad thing, but it's not God. And so there's a constant conflict between you. It's so much easier if both of you, husband and wife, are on the the same page spiritually. If you both desire and you both understand that in our personal lives, we should put God first. And also in our marriage, we should put God first. When both of you are on that same page, boy, it, it still can be difficult, obviously, but it's that much easier. That he must be more important to you than even you are to each other. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, Jesus is not saying, don't love your parents there. He's not saying, don't love your children. and, And you could probably throw spouse in this because it's talking about family here. Don't love your spouse. He's not saying don't love your parents. He's not saying don't love your children or don't love your spouse. He's saying love God more than them, more than your relationship with them. In other words, love God more than anything, even your parents, even your children, even your spouse. God is first. When when it comes to marriage, it is difficult to put God first if your spouse doesn't feel the same way. It's just hard. It's just hard. So if you're unmarried, uh, seek out a relationship with someone. Make that a priority that they'd be a believer. Now, if you're already married and maybe you're married to an unbeliever, don't give up hope. Don't run. Don't give up hope. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your spouse that they will become a believer. It's amazing how many times I've seen that happen. Do that by demonstrating the love of Christ uh, to them as you love them and as you honor them in your marriage while you continue to love and honor God as first priority in your life. God will answer that prayer. Jesus mentions here his relationship with our children. You know, we live in a time when children have taken priority over all other things, uh, over our relationships with our spouse even. And our relationship with our God. Our, our children and their needs are, 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 are more important than anything else for many people. Again, Jesus is not saying uh, that we shouldn't love our children. Of course we should love our children. But not more than God. Not more than God. Which means that one of our highest priorities as parents and, and grandparents should be to teach our children that the most important thing in their life should be their relationship with God. More important than sports, more important than friends, more important than fashion, more important than video games, more important than anything. Give God first place in every relationship. The fourth way we can put God first in our lives is give God the first or best part of every day. The first or best part of every day. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You know, it looks like Jesus might have been a morning person. <laughs> it's another reason I'm not like him. Um, 
someone uh, who, who Jesus looks like he was somebody who could just spring out of bed. All right, let's go. Start the day. Jesus understood the power of prayer more than any of us could possibly understand it. And Jesus prayed often. And for him, it seems that one of his favorite times to pray was early, early in the morning. Maybe that was his best part of the day, when others were still asleep, when, when it was quiet and still, there were minimal or no distractions, and he could go off and really focus on a conversation with his father. Would you agree with me that if God is the most important thing in your life, if he is above all other things in our lives, doesn't it make sense that we would talk to him? A lot. A lot. How could God be the most important thing in our life if we don't talk to him? Or if we don't talk to him very much? If we want to start... Uh, to do a better job of putting God first in our lives, we got to talk to God about everything, all the time, every day, just like we would any relationship that's important to us. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, uh, but that's so important. And, and like Jesus, it, take a part of the best part of your day when you're the most alert, when, when there are the least amount of distractions in your life, and spend some quality time with God in prayer and in Scripture. You know, 10, 15, 20 minutes a day. Maybe for you it's in the morning like Jesus. That's not me. I can't think in the morning. Uh, maybe it's in the evening. as When you're home from work and you're relaxing before you sit down to, to watch Netflix. Uh, Maybe it's at lunchtime at work and, and you can go off outside to the picnic tables or, or, or go off in the, in the lunchroom or get in your car and just sit and read God's word and pray. Give God the first best part of every day. And the fifth way that we can put God first in our lives. Give God the first call when you have a problem. Give God the first call when you have a problem. Proverbs 50, verse 15 says, or Psalm, Psalm 50, verse 15, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. You know, all of us experience days of trouble, as the psalmist said. Uh, we experience sickness and stress and struggles in our relationships, in marriage or with our kids or with our coworkers or with our boss. We might experience layoffs or financial crisis. We, we've all been there. We've all experienced troubles in our lives. Maybe you're experiencing one right now. When a day of trouble comes, give God the first call. Rather than wringing our hands, oh no, what am I going to do? I've I got to figure this out. I, I, what, what's going to happen? How am I going to resolve this issue in my life? Stop. Stop before we wring the first hand and pray. Ask God for help, for guidance, for comfort. Recently, uh, as I was traveling through Terrell County on the way to see Jason, uh, or as non-natives call it, Tyrell County, um, I, I got pulled by a state trooper. 
Now, my, my uh, uh, cruise control was set on 60, and it was 55, so I was going five miles over the speed limit, but most of the time, you know, that's not an issue, and I didn't think it was this time. But he just wheeled around, and he came, and he pulled me over. And, and, and I'm going, what in the world? What's this about? And Jackie said, just pray, just pray, just pray. I'm, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm, and I'm, but I'm going, well, why is he pulling me over for? I, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, five, five miles over, but he, nobody stops, gets stopped for that. Was he? And so I was all worried about it, and I was thinking about my insurance going up and all that kind of stuff. Jackie's going, well, just pray, just pray. So I took a deep breath, and he came up, and he, and he said, um, can you explain your, your speed? I said, well, how fast was I going? He said, I clocked you at 70. And I'm thinking, no way, no way. I was not, and I didn't say it like that, but I said, well, sir, I explained. I had it locked on 60. I saw you coming, and I looked, and it was 60. And when you turned around, it was still 60. I was go my speedometer said 60. So he went back. He stayed about two minutes in his car and came back. He said, I'll tell you what, we'll let you go this time. Don't worry about it. Have a good day. So I'm thinking, man, that was a good prayer, Jackie. <laughs> you know, her first call, and mine needs to be too, to pray. Her first call was, oh, no. It was, I'm going to pray. That was the first call when that problem came. You know, worry can be a warning light that tells us we don't put God first in our lives during problems. Worry means that we're trying to be in control. Most of the things we worry about, we can't do anything about it anyway, right? It's a human tendency that many, including myself, struggle with. But God has given us this wonderful formula that can help us overcome this weakness of worry and put God first in our days of trouble. Let's read it. It's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 8. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every th situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Don Wilson, who's a senior pastor of, uh, at Christ Church of the Valley in Arizona, uh, developed a great way for us to apply this, ver this verse, these, this passage, to our days of trouble. It's an easy phrase that we could use every day, easy to remember. It's praise plus poise plus prayer equals peace. Now, Paul starts off, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. You know, we need to get in the habit of giving praise to God in the good times, but also in the tough times too. To say, God, you're, you're wonderful you got me through that last day of trouble before, and the one before that, and the one before that, and the one for that. So I give you praise because I know you're going to get me through this one too. So give God, get in the habit of giving God praise about everything, the good things and the bad things. Because you know he's there with you. Give him praise. So praise plus poise. Now poise means to have, to, to have graceful 
and elegant bearing or to be under control. <laughs> Poise. There's two things that we need to be under control in our days of trouble. Our thoughts and our actions. Because those exasperate how we, how we react to, to days of trouble. First, our actions. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. How, how often in a day of trouble are we not gentle? You know, we, the Holy Spirit, is a, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, and it's something that we allow Him to produce in our lives. And we have to choose it. I'm going to be gentle here. I'm going to be under control. So we refrain from anger. We, we refrain from outbursts. We refrain from getting hysterical. Striking back. We're gentle. Okay. The old take a deep breath. And then control your thoughts. He says, don't be anxious about anything. You know, how can you, how can you do that? By letting the Holy Spirit control your thoughts. Where do our thoughts automatically go in our days of trouble? The worst case scenario. The darkest spot. Oh no, my insurance is going to go up. Paul says, instead, do this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things don't let your mind go to the darkest place go to the light god you're with me you can heal me you can get me through this you can you can you can make the trooper go back and just give me a warning <laughs> control your thoughts control your actions and then pray praise plus poise plus prayer and Paul says, about everything, pray about all things. God can see what we need when we can't. He knows what's coming. So pray, God, get me through this situation. I don't know what's coming, but you do. Help me to, to know what to think about, to know how to act. I give you praise. He can remind you of how to think and how to act of what is true. So in your days of trouble, praise plus poise Plus prayer equals peace. Peace. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Say that with me. Praise plus poise plus prayer equals peace. One more time. Praise plus poise plus prayer equals peace. Easy to remember. The first commandment is probably the most important commandment because if God is not first, the other nine don't make any sense and we won't follow them. It all starts with putting God first above all other things in our lives. And so, here's your take home for today. I hope you wrote the five things down, the five ways we can put God first. Look at those five ways and, and which one do you need to work on the most? Which one are you the weakest on? Uh, is it giving first, uh, first priority in every decision? Is it giving the first dime of every dollar? You've been a little afraid to do that. Is it giving him first place in every relationship? Is it uh, giving him the first or best part of every day, having a quiet time? Is it the, the first call when I have a problem? Which are, which are you the weakest on? Circle that one. Circle that one and work on that one this week. And then after you've got a little handle on that one, 
go to the next one because you, you, you might be weak on all of them or two or three of them. But if we could get those five areas in our lives shaped up, we would be doing a better do- job of putting God first. So let's make God, let's obey that command. He's the one and the only, the first place in my life. Father, I thank you so much for the Ten Commandments. Uh, they're a good reminder of where we need to be in our relationships with you and, as we'll see, in our relationships with each other. So, Father, uh, bless us as we look at the probably the most important one, the one that makes all the other ones possible, and that is putting you first, having no other gods before you, no other priorities. You're number one. So help us to, to work on uh, doing that each day of our lives, the decisions we make to put you first. Thank you, Father, for being the wonderful God you are. The, the wonderful thing about putting you first is because you're so good. And so uh, it, it's not a burden. It's a blessing to put you first. So help us to do it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.